Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, which is in next to Philadelphia. And, you know, they say bad things happen in Philadelphia. Well, one guy says that. But something that good that happens in Philadelphia is talking with great people from across the country who have or are running for office. Um, if you have listened recently or in the, you know that I have talked with at least one really cool guest in every state in the country, including D.C., and I encourage you to go back and listen, follow on iTunes or wherever you listen, um, subscribe, leave a comment. We got five-star ratings on iTunes, and I'm, I'm really proud of the people who we've talked to from, you know, borough council like me all the way up to U.S. Senate like with Senator Bob Casey. And we know that while those races at the top level, like uh, for president and Senate, those are really important, this year especially... But every year, but this year especially, state legislative races are some of the most important. And I'm excited to go back to Tennessee today because we're doing Tennessee and then Tennessee because that's how I always say Tennessee. You have to say it twice, like Arrested Development. And I am talking today with Brandon Thomas, who has been endorsed by some great organizations like SCIU and Elizabeth Warren. And we're going to talk about what got him involved in running for office hopefully encourage you to as well. Um, he's running a great progressive and honest and open campaign and hoping to uh, inspire some people to get involved. So, Brandon, thank you for talking today. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. So, Brandon, I was reading up on you. You seem like you're a very um, positive person from all I can tell. Um, but have you always been involved in politics or did something kind of grab at you that made you um, interested, not just in running for office, but in to get involved in the process? Well, yeah, I, you know, I was born, or I was raised through the time of 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of opened my eyes at a young age of, of the politic, you know, the body politic, if you will, um, that, you know, things aren't, that we have to get involved. You know, then I was obviously too young to vote. Um, but, you know, seeing how our country, you know, full steam ahead went to war, um, you know, without really questioning anything, you know, really gave me pause and kind of opened up my political exploration. And so that's kind of how I got involved, um, you know, is through that. And I, and I suspect there's going to be a lot of young people that, that are growing up in the Trump era um, that, are, that have been politically awakened, especially the TikTok uh, folks. He, he's messed with TikTok, and that's a bad thing for the Republican Party. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it is traumatic events that often inspire people to get involved in one way or another. 9-11 um, really pushed me to be involved in politics because I was in college at the time. How old were you when that happened? Oh, my gosh. I was, I'm going to, uh, you're going to feel really old. I was in, um, I believe, the six, fifth or sixth grade. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was like 12 or 13. So it, It's okay. I uh, already yeah, felt it, old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't even out of elementary school, um, you know, so that, that is kind of, that's how long ago it was. And But you, it's those things you remember. I remember uh, being in the classroom, um and the teacher actually had it on. Uh, that was actually what was interesting. I guess she thought we were old enough to watch it, and then you wow. know, she talked about what was going on and why it was so significant. Um, but so but it's interesting when I went to middle middle school, which is a different like building, you know, down the street or whatever. Apparently, 
Apparently, they didn't let anybody watch it. They told all the teachers to not have it on. So it's just fascinating to see like the difference in like even in even in my county, the difference in like yes, we need to be we need to let people know we need to you know educate our kids to ver- versus no like let the parents teach that you know to them at home so even within like one school system um there was that difference but yeah so we we saw that um you know she explained to us you know why this was significant you know um but yeah we we watched it happen and it, it was wild and so I'm, i'll never forget that um and you know i'll never forget also you know kind of the backlash towards um the muslim community um and then you know in 2010 um there's there's a good uh a large group of muslims that live here in rutherford county and in 2010 they had outgrew their mosque and so they were they bought land and they were going to they were building a mosque uh, in another part of murfreesboro and there was this big uproar about it, and so I don't know if you remember in 2010, mm-hmm. it wasn't just it wasn't just Rutherford County; it was all across the country. It was like, you know, the the conservative media, you know, made it seem like these mosques were never here in, in the United States ever, and all of a sudden there was a you know there was a Sharia law takeover, um, and so it, it, you know it's stuff like that, you know that 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 kept me going really. Cause it's like, wow, we have so much hatred towards, you know, a group of people. Why is that? You know, so that piques your curiosity even further. And so I got involved with the group to, you know, protest, um, the, you know, folks trying to stop the mosque from being built. And, um, and so I, my, so my, so obviously that leads us later on in life where I decide to run for office. And, you know, uh, I've been an activist for a good majority of my life. And now I believe, um, it's time for me to try to set policy to, um, you know, Cornell West said something really great when I was in Iowa in 2016. Um, you know, he said basically, we need politicians that are a thermostat, not a thermometer. And so I, you know, I want to be that thermostat that can change the temperature. Um, that, you know, we, we move people to do the right thing. We don't move people to, you know, the, the lowest common denominator. Hmm. Yeah, I. You know, it's interesting. You know, I talked with a few people recently in this year who are younger people who run for office, and I think that older people, nothing against being in your fifties or sixties, but they often look at younger people, and sometimes there was a mocking of you don't know what it's like to go through hard times, or you've had it lucky, etc. Don't realize that people your age and younger have been living with this trauma of a changed country. And a changing country and the response to 9-11 your whole life, right? Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely, yes. And then, you know, and then even before that, you had Columbine. So mm-hmm. I was in elementary school then. And so, you know, that um, I was aware of that. Um, you know, there may have been some folks in my age bracket that never knew what that was until they, you know, entered high school. But, um, yeah, those, those were two big events in a short period of time um, that really, you know, makes you think and have to you know like makes you wonder why you're here and what you need to do to change the circumstances basically yeah and i remember like when i was a young kid obviously you weren't born yet i don't don't think you were born yet um, when uh the challenger exploded and it was such a traumatic event for people watching it and less than 10 people died in that it was terrible they're not i don't want to take anything away from how awful that was especially with what that Mm -hmm. launch meant but that was a lot less than the people that died in Columbine, and yet because school shootings 
it just seem to be part of the American way of life. And I'm not being dismissive of it. It's it's almost like people don't see that as as traumatic when obviously it is, especially to people who were younger at that time. Yes, and I you know I think it's I think there's like a politicization. If I can say the word um, of of school shootings versus the, the situation with Challenger, yeah, I, I was born in '89, so I think that was a little bit before <laughs> before my time. Um, but you know, I, there's something there. Uh, we can politicize this, but we can't politicize that. And I think that is what we're seeing um, with the school shootings: is we can politicize it and say, you know. There's a you know, there's a first, there's a Second Amendment right issue here and you know things like that and so you know some kids uh, bring a gun to school you know kind of so what it seems like that is like the philosophy mm-hmm. a little bit um, and you know that's unfortunate because we need to take that just as serious those two things just as serious and figure out you know I'm pretty sure NASA has figured out what went wrong uh, so that never happens again we need to figure out. Um, what we need to do to reduce gun violence in schools. Um, and especially here in Tennessee, there was a report that literally just came out, I think today, that showed um, Tennessee has the is number one in accidental uh, firearm discharge with, with children. So, you know, we have guns at home that are not being supervised or not, you know, stored correctly that children, you know, my son's age, he's two, are, are gaining access to. Um, so that's a problem. But we knew this was an issue a long time ago. Every time we go to the pediatrician, one of the questions the doctor asked me is, do you have any guns at home? Uh, yeah. Because they know just just having a gun at home with the, with the toddler or, or an infant increases the likelihood of some kind of accidental fire, you know, firearm discharge. So, I mean, no, I mean those are the numbers. And for whatever reason, um, we have... We haven't had the political will to try to, you know, reduce those numbers. And we're going to get into your candidacy in a second. But when it, this reminds me of COVID, it reminds me of other issues. I was recently telling people we should elect people who take serious things seriously. And it seems like there is a political party right now um, led by the president who doesn't want to take serious things seriously. And that includes gun deaths. It, doesn't mean you have to hate people having guns. Just it's a serious thing, and you can't fix it if you don't take it seriously in one way or another. Absolutely, yeah. You know, my our um, there's people in our family that have guns, and you know, when our son goes over, you know, we had we had the conversation of like, you know, make sure you're going because we went over one day and the gun was just kind of sitting out there, and we were like, hey, you know, we have a very active toddler. We know he he's going to get into everything. We can tell him no ten times. You know, the eleventh time he's going to do it. So you know, we we know we had a conversation with them, and they they keep the gun locked. You know, when he's coming over, and they know he's coming over. I mean, it's just as simple as that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, you know, so that, and that's one thing, you know, I will be fighting for is the past um, legislation called Michaela's Law, uh, which would, you know, require gun owners to store their guns properly when you have children on the premises. Uh, I think that is just kind of a no-brainer. Um, you can have your gun, just store it when, when kids are around, because for whatever reason, you know, ki- you know kids find there's a fascination right and you know you have a dangerous weapon that they can you know harm themselves or somebody else with uh that's a problem that that we need to address so you want to address some problems and take some 
take serious things seriously, I would say. Um, what? Right. When did you decide to run for office, for, to run for this seat? So I actually ran um, in 2016 uh, for this seat, and it was honestly out of whim. <laughs> I had came back from Iowa uh, working on an issue campaign um, back in, like, 2015, and, you know, decided, hey, I could – you know, fight for these things here in Tennessee. And so with the week to go before the filing deadline, um, I got my 25 signatures um, in and ran for office in 2016. Um, yeah, first-time candidate who didn't have a plan got 38.8% of the vote. Mm -hmm. uh, this time, yeah, this time I was actually really reluctant to run again because it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to do it to do it right, it's a lot of work. Um, it, it's like having a small business. And so um, I was really reluctant. My husband was actually on board before I was to run for office again. And it just took some, you know, talking to people, um, you know, just figuring things out and, you know, and realizing that in the past four years uh, since I last ran, nothing has really changed. Uh, you know, we still have... A state that attacks our public school system. Uh, we still have a state that has not expanded Medicaid. Uh, we have a state that has not done anything for working class families. Um, so, so that that is why I decided to run. Our campaign is going to be fighting to create a family friendly economy that mm -hmm. works for everyone, no exceptions. Yeah, I like that phrase, family friendly uh, economy, and I feel like I ha it's, it seems so obvious yet I haven't really heard it from many people. Um, what does that mean to you, a family-friendly economy? Yeah, so that, like I said, that means uh, fully funding our public schools. Mm -hmm. uh, so the person I'm running against uh, and many of the other Republicans have voted to take $70 million uh, from public schools to give to private schools. Um, so I don't know if you've, see, if you've seen this whole thing. If you cut, if you watch Tennessee politics, is that is that uh, there was a very controversial vote that happened where um, they instituted this voucher bill um, that was recently found unconstitutional, and the voucher bill only um, was required for Nashville and Memphis, and so. They took money out of public schools to fund this this voucher thing for their, you know, because they probably have private interest in, in it, right? And so that's something we have to fight against. We have local Republicans here that love their public schools and want to fully fund their public schools. And that's something that everybody can agree on. We need to fully fund our public schools. If you want to attend a private school, definitely do that. That's your choice. But do not, you know, take the money from a public institution. Uh, and so we need to fully fund our public schools. We need to pay our teachers as well. Um, you know, within that voucher bill, uh, teachers were going to be promised a pay raise, and then they said, never mind. So that, that needs to be corrected as well. Uh, like I said, we want to ensure that we have a paid family leave in the state of Tennessee, especially now due to a pandemic mm -hmm. um you know you know that we have a situation where you could be uh you could test positive or somebody you know could test positive or you've been exposed and what's the thing you're supposed to do you're supposed to stay home for 14 days and quarantine uh, to see if you show any symptoms to stop the spread but if you're a working class person like myself i'm actually an essential worker um if you're a working class person like myself you have to work 
need. You can't right a, a paycheck. And so we need to institute something like that. And obviously, like I said, expand Medicaid. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's ta- it's money that we're leaving on the table um, that is going to help a lot of people. We actually had a person that um, was the youngest person in the state of Tennessee to die of COVID nineteen in our commu- who lived in our community. And the reason why he didn't get treatment was because he didn't have health care. He got the test, right? The test is free, but he couldn't. Get, he was afraid to go to the emergency room or to the doctor because of the bill that he would receive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that should that should really tell you everything you need to know about the healthcare system here in Tennessee, about why we need to expand Medicaid. Um, you know, I spoke with a woman who, at the time, had an infant uh, back in February. Uh, who said her and her husband kept getting denied for Medicaid, uh, Medicare, uh, for her child. And, you know, she said, we meet the means test and everything, but we keep getting denied. If we had Medicaid expansion, that would not be an issue for that infant. You know, we have an infant in Tennessee mm. without access to health care during a global pandemic. That's a problem. Uh, so that's so that's what we're fighting for. And as a father of a two year old now, um, that, that really that really got me. Um, and so that's why we're fighting so hard. We actually got our first piece of negative mail that came out yeah, uh, I saw from, the, from the from the from the GOP. Um, so we're really excited about that. That means this message is resonating. That means we you know we're they see we're putting in the work, and they've done their poll because they 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 can afford fancy polls, and they see that it's close. Um, so you know we're we're doing what we can do. That whatever they do doesn't change what we're doing because we know what we're doing is working. We know working class people want these things, and we're going to fight for them. Yeah, you know I talked with Gabby Salinas. We, we were mentioning this before that she's running in Tennessee as well, and she mentioned that like there is no real good policy reason to not take Medicaid expansion in Tennessee. That the hospitals want it; they're willing to foot a lot of the bill to make it affordable for the state when it's already affordable. And it really seems like in states like Tennessee, especially while states like Oklahoma and Missouri are passing this by referendum, the people want this. People in general want more health care options, especially for Medicaid. And it's ideology that's keeping people from getting their good health care. Absolutely. There was a, um, yeah, so um, in 20, I guess, 16, 17, um, the the plan was called Insure Tennessee, and the plan was for the federal government to cover 90% of the health care costs, and the, um, uh, the hospital corporation, the hospital companies, to take care of the other 10%. Um, they understand the need for this because rural hospitals are closing, and that's a, that puts a burden on these bigger hospital systems. Either they have to try to absorb some of these rural hospitals to keep them open, and then obviously they're going to take a bigger loss now uh, to their revenue stream, um, or we can expand Medicaid and ensure rural hospitals don't close, ensure that people don't have to drive more than an hour away uh, from the nearest hospital. Uh, so th- this is a win-win for everybody. Um, you know, I, it really boggles the mind as to why, uh, you know, sensible people, I guess we don't have sensible people elected, uh, wouldn't pass this legislation to ensure 
everybody in Tennessee has access to health care to ensure that folks in rural areas have access to a hospital. Um, you know, and this just doesn't really affect people in rural areas. You know, my uh, other side of my family likes to go down to Del Hollow Lake, which is very rural. <laughs> it is, it is. You know, if you don't have Verizon, honestly, that's like the only major carrier that uh, that will get you where you need to go. Um, and that part of Tennessee, um, that's how like far and spread out it is. Um, if their hospital closes, which it may actually have, there. If I travel out there and that hospital closes, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to be life flighted somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's going to cost you insurance. It's going to cost. Yeah. And that's probably usually never covered. Like the the life flights are never covered. (laughs) You know, I've seen the life flight bills from people. It it is insane. It's, you know, it's a a year's worth of salary, basically. You know, like, you know, it does not make sense um, on just a financial front because, you know, try to hit you on the budgetary, it'll increase the budget. Well, no, it won't. Um, it doesn't make sense in just a, on a humanitarian front either. So that's one thing we're, we're fighting really hard for. Um, and, you know, when we get, when we're elected, uh, we are going to vote to expand Medicaid in the state of Tennessee. And it seems, it, it frustrates me. I was working on um, gathering public support. I know you're endorsed by SCIU. I was working for our local SCIU at the time to to get people to pass the Affordable Care Act in 2010. Um, you know, Jamie Harrison in South Carolina was just uh, criticizing in the debate, criticizing Lindsey Graham, saying "You, there's all these rural hospitals that aren't getting, that are going to close or can't do their work because of this. And it feels like from every conservative state where it's dominated by a conservative legislature, they don't have a good reason for stopping this. There's not, like... I feel like, you know, when I hear about tax cuts or tax increases, I can hear a reason. Do you, it feels frustrating to me as an outsider, like, well, you can't explain yourself for why you're denying people the care they need. Yeah, I mean, they don't have a plan. Um, did you, so in 2010, did you work with, was it the change that works? Is um, that what you? Uh, well, I was working I, for a local SEIU okay. um union in pennsylvania okay and we were yeah and you know it's just it it just is frustrating um but you know another thing that's frustrating on this with healthcare is the covid situation um right and i think this dovetails into that um what has your campaign or your message changed because of covid or has it been amplified and reinforced because of covid yeah, I, I definitely think it's put a focus on why this is necessary now um, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, you know, like I said, we're fighting to create a family-friendly economy that works for everyone. Um, our platform is just reinforced um, on on why we need paid family leave, on why we need health care. Uh, it shouldn't have. It shouldn't take a pandemic to to do that. You know, to realize that because these cracks in the system were already there. It's just you know the pandemic has really amplified that and really highlighted those cracks um and like i said yeah it's reinforced i think it's you know as a campaign it's easier to point to something because it's not as abstract as you know we need paid family leave because you know somebody can get sick in your family that that's kind of an abstract thing it's like yeah they could or they could not but we know the pandemic is here and the likelihood of them getting sick increases um now in rutherford county um the 
the count is about 2% of the county has contracted mm -hmm. coronavirus. So um, I, I don't know if that's low or high, but if it, you know, if it really starts creeping up, um, I think these issues are going to be highlighted even more. Yeah. And it feels, you know, we started this conversation about 9-11, which I think I know from as an adult, for me, when that happened, a lot of people changed their politics or they changed their focus. Um, but this public health pandemic, instead of it changing focus, it's kind of put things into a very stark contrast. And um, I haven't heard one Democrat on this podcast in the last I don't know how many years it's been since March. Um, you know, I haven't heard anybody um, say that it's changed their campaign at all. I mean, it, their messaging at all. And it's just reinforced the need for this. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So one other thing I've been, I, I mentioned with uh, Gabby Salinas and I mentioned with others who have run for office, um, you are in a more conservative state than most others in Tennessee. Um but if, in my memory of politics, there were, used to be a lot of Democrats who would run and be like, I'm Brandon, I'm not a Democrat. I mean, it says Democrat by my name, but... And so it was a lot of people campaigning on their own and trying to pretend that they were not associated with anything. And it was kind of like milk toast and disappointing to people like me. Do you feel like there's a team atmosphere to running for office this time that you know you've been involved for a while do you feel it's more of a team effort yeah. this time than years ago oh yeah absolutely um so i have we have over like a hundred people or so that in our slack channel mm -hmm. uh that want to volunteer uh, or, or do something mainly text text is like the easy thing people love texting um but you know yes like this is a team effort that's why i say we a lot you see our language with we because this is i can't do this alone right you know i, I told my team you know this is your campaign as well if there's something i'm saying that you don't like please let me know because you're you're investing in this campaign you know my name is on the ballot but i can't do this without help um so i think there is a team atmosphere at least in my campaign there is um and I think we're seeing we're seeing a level of um, consciousness raising. I will say this cycle, and I think we started seeing it in 2018. Um, folks on our side realized that uh, local races matter. Um, that's what makes this uh, house race particularly uh, competitive. In 2018, um, the voter turnout was about 64 percent, and it was decided by 1,050 votes. Mm. So, yeah, so we expect, obviously, the turnout to be about the same or even a little higher. Um, and, you know, who knows? Well, we hopefully we win. That's the outcome. But, um, yeah, so that's why the Republicans are doing these, these mailers, because they know Rutherford County's changing. The only reason why that we don't have a seat right now is because of gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. uh, Tennessee is changing. Um, I don't know if you're on election Twitter, but there's there are some folks that rep Tennessee on election Twitter, uh, and they have these maps. They sh they have uh, um, somebody did a um, like a, a vote share uh, projection of like the past a couple of elections, right? Uh, and it showed 
each, you know, vote share for Republicans going down and down. They keep winning because of gerrymandering, but pe- more and more people are voting Democrat, and it's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. That's why we got to do. That's why we got to win this year because redistricting's coming up next year. <laughs> yeah, and I imagine that even if some of those areas aren't Democratic yet, it, it, your issues, like the issue of healthcare um, availability, is not going to become less popular after a pandemic, right? Like it seems right. like the tr- my friend um was debating me online or arguing online a little bit um saying well you know donald trump doesn't seem or the republicans don't necessarily seem extremely conservative they just seem as conservative as like in the seven as the 80s like well the country is far less conservative than it was then right like you know when it comes to race lgbt issues um when it comes to healthcare, and i feel like the country is moving in one direction and the Republican Party is moving in the other. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think that's the case. Um, you know, I, I have, I have Republican friends, and I told my one Republican friend, like, your party is going to be a regional party. Mm-hmm. Uh, if y'all can't get, if y'all can't get your act together, <laughs> you know, you don't, you, they don't have any people of color. Um, they don't really fight for working class people. They're people of, you know, big corporations, right? You know, like. Like, y'all are going to be a very regional party, and I think the president is helping to push that even faster than it would have happened. So, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, the, there are some studies that have come out and, it, and show that um, over 70% of Tennesseans believe that um, the state should um, have a hand in health care, and like 51% believe the, uh, the, the government should have a major role in health care. Uh, so, you know, so it's kind of funny to see that, that attack ad when, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. You know, these are these are Tennesseans saying this. So it's who's who's the radical, right? Is it is it this campaign? Is it Tennesseans or is it the Republican Party? And I think it is the Republican Party. They're getting so divorced from the actual issues. Yeah. And you know, for me, when I hear radical, I just think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't think any politics. <laughs> <laughs> so, um but another thing that stood out to me in reaching out to you was you were endorsed by Elizabeth Warren. You're, you're endorsed by some other progressive groups. And again, it feels like years ago, anywhere in a place like Tennessee or South Carolina or others, you would say, uh, please, Elizabeth, don't endorse me. But now it just feels like this is the party. We're not going to like shy away from who we are. And is that part of your campaign to just be like, no, we want all of the support we can and we're not going to pretend that we're Republican light? Yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a black gay man that lives in the South. Uh, there, it's kind <laughs> of hard to I avoid mean, that, right? I should, I should, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I got a call from Elizabeth Warren's team and they called and said, hey, we want to endorse you. Like, is that okay? <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. Uh, you know, like we, we are fighting on the same issues we're fighting for working families you know and i really appreciate elizabeth warren fight for working families she um takes it to the big corporations that you know try to find their way to you know get through tax loopholes that you know try to you know screw over working families um and you know tries to support working families so our our mission is the same our platforms are similar in the sense that we're fighting for working families so um I, yeah i i mean the calculation a long time ago, even in 2016, uh, to run on who I am as a person, to run on the issues 
um, that, you know, I'm passionate about and the issues I know people are concerned about. And so uh, you have no time to be to to, to be Republican light. You know, there, there's just no time for that because we've seen that happen time and time again. Right. We had in 2018 Phil Bredesen not win, right? You know, he tried to play it down the middle. And that that just doesn't work. That doesn't get people fired up and wanting to vote. Yeah. Um, so with all that in mind, you, I, I, it's a challenging time to run for office no matter what, with whether it's the politics of the race, of the district, um, the negativity, or just the pandemic. But, you know, people listening to this, it's too late for 2020, but they might want to run for 2021 or 2022. Why would you encourage other people to run for office? What would be your words to get them moving? Yeah, so... If you want to see the change in your community, you need to run for office or find somebody that will run for office. It doesn't have to be state house. It can be county commission. It can be school board, especially now. Um, we need folks on city and county school boards that understand the science that, uh, you know, of what this pandemic is and what we can do to best address the concerns of parents, of students, and uh, get them the education they need. Um, you know, I always encourage people uh, to go to runforsomething.net yeah. and sign up because they will help you. They helped my campaign get me a good game plan down on who I need to, you know, really be talking to, who, who, who's going to vote for us, basically, because, you know, there's folks that they see me, they know my demographics, they're, they're, they're not going to vote for us. Um, but, you know, they'll, they will help you with that. And I think um, if you're not seeing the representation in your community, um, you need to run for office. And so um, that's what I would encourage everybody to do and to go to run for something to, to get help on that. So, one other thing, you're talking about people like you, you're a black gay man in Tennessee, um, you know, that's not necessarily what people are expecting, and, you know, we hope you win, but what does it mean to someone like you, uh, knowing with knowing the history of your area, Tennessee, that 30%, 40%, like a significant amount of people will be voting for you? I think that's an encouragement for others to that might be worried? Is that rewarding and just on a human level? Uh, it is. You know, I, I, I've had some gay friends that are in the district now, like, I'm proud of you for doing this. And I'm like, you know, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm like, I just got to run. You know, th th these are background. This is background information about me. Um, but, you know, I, I think I often don't uh, remember or, or think about um, how this affects other people. You know, seeing people that look like them. Um, I actually did a lit drop two weeks ago and ran into a group of black folks. Uh, they were just sitting out at their house. I'm like, I'm going to talk to them. So I chatted with them. I was like, I'm running for state house. And one of the guys was like, what? No, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. I handed him my palm card. And he, like, you could just see kind of like the lights click, you know, like, oh, there's somebody that looks like me that's running for state house. And so I think it's just simply having more representation, you know, folks running and obviously winning, but having that representation just to start to run, to have people that look like you, that, you know, have a similar background like you, um, is very important. You know, for far too long, we've, for quite frankly, have had a lot of mediocre white men run. And that has to change if we want to see real change on any of these policies. 
And speaking as a mediocre white man, I agree. I think we need more diversity. <laughs> it's there, you know. I talk to so many people, and like one, there's only one state with a majority female legislature. Um, there's certainly no state with a majority non-white legislature, uh, and you know, which is fine to an extent. But when there's no state with that, it means we have less diversity of legislation and priorities. And you know, what's the point in some ways to have all that? Um, yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I didn't know this until Gabby told me, but like she would be the first immigrant to uh, serve in the state state house. You know, I would actually be the first black person to represent my county uh, in the state house, and the and one of the you know maybe one or you know coming in with Tori Harris as the two first out LGBT folks in the state house. So there's a lot of firsts going on here. Um, and, you know, hopefully those firsts happen uh, in this cycle. And we have a lot more firsts because it is time, it's time, it's time to have better representation at every uh, level of government. I, I think it makes a big difference in terms of what gets prioritized. Um, lastly, and, and this is really important, um, though I could ask you about a hundred more questions and we both have things to do. <laughs> Uh, if people are interested in learning more and want to follow you, where should they go to follow you online and on social media? Yes, so they can go to votebrandonthomas.com uh, to learn more about me. Um, that, that's going to link you to all of our socials except TikTok. So you just have to go to TikTok and search for Vote Brandon Thomas. Um, yeah, so we're on TikTok, which is something that wouldn't have happened because of the pandemic <laughs> if it wasn't for, for the pandemic. Uh, but yeah, please... Sign up to volunteer. Uh, we really need, in these last few weeks, uh, folks making phone calls for us, folks uh, sending out texts for us. And if you can donate, please donate, because that helps us uh, uh, spread our message even further. So like, like we, we kept saying all earlier about, the, about this attack ad, obviously there's going to be more coming, and we need to prepare ourselves and amplify our message as far and wide as possible to counter any negative messaging, because this is a hot race. Um, and the Republicans are afraid. And from my understanding, they're afraid because being the first black person to represent Rutherford County, it's going to be hard to draw me out of um, when it comes to redistricting. So they're trying to do everything they can to keep us from winning. So, like I said, please go to votebrandonthomas.com uh, to sign up to volunteer and donate. Yeah, definitely follow him. And, and you know, Joe, I don't tell people to donate to candidates on this necessarily, but like which ones. But I will tell you, um, Joe Biden raised like a bajillion dollars just this month. He doesn't have any doesn't know where else to spend it. But state legislative candidates need the money. They can spend it. If Brandon got twenty dollars, he would be able to spend twenty dollars tomorrow. So today. Right. So um donate locally um learn more at runforsomething.net and definitely follow brandon thomas and definitely consider if you're listening to this and you're inspired that maybe you should run for office too thank you brandon and best of luck in tennessee thank you you have a great day you too have a good one